Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olson, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. My guest today is Oskar Otteborn, head of IT and mobile at Samsung Nordics. Oskar is one of Sweden's most experienced tech executives and know more about the evolution of the mobile space than almost anyone, from working with brands like 3, TomTom and Apple. What most people don't know about Oscar is that he is also a world-class karate fighter who has won multiple Swedish and European championships and trained with the legendary master Masayoma in Japan in the 90s. So forgive me for talking karate with Oscar for the better part of the first half of this interview. We also cover the history of mobile phones and how the Nokia Ericsson rivalry completely ruled the mobile market in the 90s and onwards pre-smartphones. And we talk about the fact that mobile phone launches in the early aughts were more impactful than now, how losing his phone on a trip made him realize how vital the smartphone is in modern society. We also talk about the new Samsung collaboration with Ben Gorham, Adling Haaland and Kimi Reikunen that we've been writing about on ScandinavianMind.com. The Scandinavian Mind podcast is a bi-weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Every Wednesday we publish an in-depth interview with an innovator from the worlds of design, fashion, beauty, mobility and tech. And every Friday we publish a panel talk or other behind-the-scenes content from the world of Scandinavian Mind. I'd like to thank the Helio co-working space for hosting us while doing these talks. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and events. Visit scandinavianmind.com newsletter. Here now, my conversation with Oscar Otteborn. Enjoy. Alright, so I'm here with uh, Oskar Otteborn, Head of IT and Mobile at Samsung Electronics Nordics. Uh, how are you, Oskar? I'm fine, thanks. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're going to have a great uh, 30 minutes or so talking about tech, the history of mobile and where we are at right now. But I really want to start in a different end of this conversation because um, you know we, we've been talking... Uh, uh, before and I realized something about you that you have a completely different background than tech and that is karate yeah that's right and not only as a hobby or anything but you have actually been a professional karate wrestler karate fighter I'm sorry I, would say. <laughs> <laughs> I get it wrong yeah, right off no the worries. bat <laughs> no worries no so uh, yeah up until uh, probably 25 years of age or something karate was my my whole life actually so I, I was growing up in an area where um, a suburb just south of Stockholm called Hägersten where a lot of kids were were living together. Um, and uh, I was the youngest. Um, so I was uh, born 74 and the others were 72 and, and some of them 73. So it was always a little bit of struggle to to find my place. Um, and, and playing and being with your friends at that time was everything mm. my my both my parents were working a lot my parents was working abroad a lot sometimes he was away for a couple of months actually um 
and my mother was also working a lot so I didn't see them that much so the friends and and uh, uh, and the network with your with your kids was basically everything and at that time uh, martial arts became very popular so you could f- see these kung fu movies and right. karate and uh, it, w- it was popular but it was at the same time not so familiar to everyone so it was a little bit like uh, today it's much more accepted and uh, normal it was so very to say. exotic when was very karate exotic. kid movies came out yeah and, exactly yeah. it was something something completely new and for some people a little bit frightening they didn't really know what it was um, so it's a little bit difficult to to imagine today but it was like very um, very interesting for mm. a kid at least and uh, a lot of my friends tried out different kind of martial arts uh, but most of them finished quite quite quickly because martial arts is really something uh, that you have to devote yourself to because doing it once a week right. won't take you anywhere right. so you have to really go all in if you want to develop and become something and uh, also some of them was trying a specific type of martial arts called Kyokushin Karate which is Kyokushin stands for the hardest karate mm. and um, uh, or the ultimate way actually uh, in, in Japanese um, and but then nobody continued in the Kyokushin because it was too tough for everyone so everyone was talking about it like you know don't don't even try that <laughs> uh, so I thought to myself 12 years age that if I could do that then there would be no discussion who's going to be in the in in indoor bandy team next time you know <laughs> I was going to be accepted by everyone so that was li- really my driving force to start and then I started uh, and it was extremely hard of course when you're you're, you know, you're very beginner and, and uh, they, they take it quite gently with you. But even the physical training was still hard. So it wasn't about fighting. It was just hard training, so to say. And I wasn't used to it either. Um, but I, I really liked it a lot from the beginning. And then after a while, we started to do also fighting. Um, maybe I was around 14 when we started doing sparring, it's called. Um, and even that, I, I quite quickly realized that I was like a little bit natural talent for um, because I, I could take a lot of punishment so to say in, in my body <laughs> and uh, so I continued and um, uh, I trained probably like six or seven times a week for many many years and I also trained at home and I doing uh, started to doing running and I started to lift weights at the same time so I was doing a lot of training for many years and and um, one one funny accident was actually or accident, but one funny incident was that there was some. I, I managed school because my parents was very strict on on schooling, of course. Uh, both of them being being academical and and uh, uh, focusing a lot on the on work. Mm. Uh, so I managed the school part, but everything else during these years, I I don't have any relationship with. So when people talk about different TV, TV series or something from that time. I haven't seen any of them. And uh, it, it's, it's it, all about the karate. It was all, all about the karate. And then, sco- so that's also who I am as a person a little bit. I'm very, very focused. So I, I'm either all in or I'm not so interested at all. Uh, so it, it really shaped my personality. But it was this basic things like, you know, to, to be able to say the months, you know, January, February, March, mm-hmm. it took me many years before <laughs> I could actually. And, and, and my friends was like, 
oh, you know, how come you don't know the month? And I said, it's not so interesting. I mean, I know what day it is and when I'm going to practice, but I don't care what month it is next month. It's, it's not so interesting for me. You were using that real estate of the mind to focusing yeah, on the, yeah. the, the workout. Uh, yeah. So there was a lot of basic stuff that I didn't know and probably some some stuff that I still have missed a little bit from that time. But you're extremely I mean, focused. You eventually became one of the the uh, most successful karate fighters in Europe, in the world, I guess. Yeah, in the world, yeah, I was I was among the best in the world, I would say, but I wasn't the world's best for sure. Um and uh, there was a, a world championship every fourth year mm-hmm. and I uh, always in Tokyo and I've been there twice um but when i was 17 i won kind of the european union uh, union championship mm-hmm. um that was also a funny story actually i should tell that story so it was my first competition i was 17 years old and it was at that time it wasn't allowed and it's still actually not allowed to compete in sweden with the kyokushin rules because our rules is very different from traditional karate we don't have any protection there's nothing on your hands there's nothing on your shins Mm. But anyway, so it was my first competition. So I was going to Copenhagen for the Danish uh, Copenhagen. Um, and my parents was a little bit afraid to uh, to let me go. And uh, I, I remember I had to f- work a lot to convince them to, to, to let me go. Eventually they did, but they even called my trainer who was co- coming with me to the competition to make sure that everything was all right and that he was actually going there and, you know, it was safe and everything. Um, so I went and, and I think I had four fights um, and I won the first quite easily. The second one and also at that time heavyweight was about 70 kilo and I was 71 or something, 17 years old. So, But the opponent that I met was all of them were above 100 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> so they were much more heavy than me. And the second guy, he was like 105 or something. And he hit me in, uh, in my mouth. So one of the teeth fell out. And and it actually cut the teeth in half, so the the center piece of the teeth was still there. Um, so it was very very painful. And and the referee they wanted to stop the competition, but I want to continue, of course. And my trainer also said, no, no, he can continue. So I was able to continue. And then the the third uh, fight, I fi- uh, I won quite easily as well. But then in the final, it was a Danish guy was also 110 kilo or something. And he was kicking me to the to the thighs a lot, so I actually broke. Uh, it's called uh, Lord Ben's hals, but I don't know the English word for it. You can you can look it up. <laughs> um, so I broke that bone. So I st- femoral neck. Yeah, femoral neck. <laughs> uh, so I, I I still um, I still won the fight because uh, I managed to knock him out like 30 seconds afterward. But then after that I couldn't walk. So anyway, long long story here. But when I came back to Sweden, and at that time there was no mobile also, so I couldn't call my parents. So I came back home, and uh, and uh, I knocked on my door, and my mom came and opened up, and uh, and she looked looked at me and said, "Oh, what? Are you, what? I think she started to cry actually." And she said, "This is like, you you you're never going back there, you know. Right. This is the end of it. I mean, I I know I shouldn't have let you go." And uh, and and I just walked into the house. I was really tired. I was been traveling for a long time, and and she's like, just went on and on. And I I just was so tired. So I said, okay, mom, fine. Uh, I'm not going to train anymore. That's okay. And then my dad came down because he was upstairs. I think he was just came back from a 
from a long trip or something so he was sleeping so he came down and he said oh yeah Oscar this is uh, this is it you know there's no more karate for you and I said okay I'm gonna go down to my room now and he said by the way how how did it go and I opened my bag and I took up the trophy and I said hey, I won <laughs> and then he, he he tapped my shoulder and he said listen son I'm gonna talk to mother don't worry <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we should we should say to I mean, anyone who's listening to this pod is used to us talking about technology in the future and and where we're going and everything. But I thought that was when you told me this story and it came up because the tagline of of Samsung is "Do what you can't." Yeah. So it's, it's like it's like your own "Do what you can't" story here in a way. But I, I was yeah. so fascinated about this. That's why I wanted to start here. But so you actually ended up. Um, moving to Japan yeah that's right so when I started the gymnasium actually I, I I was so determined to go to Japan and to study Japanese and to study karate so I, I picked the um, gymnasium out of the there was only Australian and Franz Schartow that had Japanese on the on, right. on the uh, subject um, so I ended up in Franz Schartow no actually Astra but then I changed to Franz Schartow um, and when I was 18 they they had this three-year training called, course called Uchidechi, which is kind of the ultimate uh, way of, of training or something. Um, and it was a three-year course in Japan um, where, where um, after three years, you're sent out somewhere to, to spread the kyokushin mm. in, in the world. And that's actually how the, kyok, the kyokushin style has spread a lot across the world because a lot of Japanese came down to Brazil or Europe or uh, or other places, and now we are f- several hundred millions uh, uh, practitioners around the world. Um, and and uh, to be selected to go there was something very, very special. First of all, you had to have won a lot of competition and be a name within the Kyokushin, and then you had to have a recommendation letter from someone really high up, which was then my, my trainer, Brian Fitkin, who's a legend within Kyokushin. Um, and uh, I think I even had Dolph Lundgren's recommendation letter or something. Really? Yeah, I think <laughs> <That's> so. Awesome. <laughs> uh, because he was also practicing this style. Um, and uh, yeah, eventually me and another guy from Uppsala uh, was uh, was able to go to Japan. And I was 18 years old. Um, and at that time, there was uh, that it wasn't that common to to go to Japan, not no. even as a tourist, and uh, not not to live there for sure. So it was a very very special period. Um, it's like probably because I, I, I did this instead of, of the military service. Okay. I don't know which one is the toughest, but we trained six to eight hours a day. Um, and we lived in what was called a dormitory, which is like a monastery almost. Mm. And we were not allowed to leave that area, which was just a small building actually next to the, to the dojo where we trained. Um, and we were not able to leave without the permission so even if I had to post a letter to my parents, I had to ask for permission to go to the post office. Um, and uh, we were free every second Sunday. That that's was our free day. Wow. So two days a month we were free. For how long did you do this? I was there for one year almost because after after that, uh, the grandmaster of the Kyokushin, uh, Masutatsu Yama, he died. Uh, yeah. So he was, I think he was 74 or 75 or something. He died of lung cancer. Um, and then there was a split in the organization. But he was like the guy, right? He was the he guy. Was the... He was the founder. Yeah. He was the founder. I asked around about him, about some friends of mine, and yeah. they're like, what? He trained with that guy? Yeah. It's, that's, you know, totally unique. Yeah, that is a unique experience, actually. And I, I was the last non-Japanese to graduate for black belt from him. Wow. So he actually 
uh, I did my black belt grading for him in Hombo Dojo, where it, the original dojo is in Tokyo. That is a very unique uh, memory and experience. I mean, you mentioned chess, and and it's my understanding also with karate. It's it's, it's something that you never really uh, leave or or abandon or retire from. Like with other sports, you come in your twenties or thirties maybe, and then you retire and you don't do it anymore. You, you're you're still practicing. Yeah, I'm still practicing. I'm doing uh, at minimum twice a week, um, and I still have this, I still have this long term vision that you know I did karate for the first part of my life, and then I went into business and. And I'm coming back to the karate. Sooner or later, I'm coming back to the karate. Maybe we can come back to karate in this conversation as well. Sure. So maybe that was a perfect uh, uh, segue into into business. So I'm, I'm curious. Have you know you have a you know one of the most experienced ex- executives in the Nordics in your field, uh, especially in the mobile space. Um, let's start with the karate question. What you know from your your practice and what you've learned and the philosophies around karate what have you brought with you into your your other career so to speak i mean first of all i i i learned very young like almost 12 13 14 or something that you could do whatever you want if you just set your mind to it mm. uh and I, i think that's the most important that's uh that's that's very linked to to karate also and the martial arts thinking about you know you tr- you train 1000 day to get the grip of something but you ten you train 10000 day to be a master of something um so i think that that philosophy has been the most important because if you have that mindset and you have that uh deeply rooted the 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 self um, uh, awareness then you became you become calm a little bit and you can you trust yourself and you trust maybe others also um so i think that's the most important then of course the the respect is is very important within martial arts um to respect each other and to be humble um and to be genuine um and i think that when you when you go up it's also a little bit difficult to explain but it's so It's so pure that when you go up in a fight without nothing, you know, there's no gloves, there's not nothing. It's just you and your gi, which is uh, what you have on you when you fight. Um, and there's no, hardly no rules. Mm. And you're going to fight someone to the ground. And it could go on also. I didn't mention that before. But, you know, you fight three minutes the first round. And then they see if someone is on the ground, no, okay, then there's extension, then there's two minutes, and then there's two minutes, and then there's two minutes. So you can go on and, you know, try when you come home, try to go 30 seconds on a punching bag with everything you have. Yeah. I promise you, you won't stand up after 30 seconds. Imagine then fighting someone for 10 minutes who fight you back at the same time. <laughs> it's so exhausting. And I mean, and when we, and when you're done also, and it could be like a European championship or something, And after you're done, there's so much respect between these two individuals. So you almost every time, I would say 95% of the times, you you hug each other afterwards because there's so much respect for each other mm. and for the for the practice and for the competition that you've done. So I think that respect within the professional life is also a little bit unique. It could be with your employee, but it could be your boss or your partner, uh, anyone more or less. Mm. 
I think it's interesting because that you are working sort of in the tech space, which is this sort of fast-moving target. Everything's changing exponentially, and you know, this is this is rapidly moving uh, world in a way. Whereas you know, karate is this you know very old school, old tr- traditional. Uh, I, I'm sure that the rules haven't changed. I'm sure the philosophy sort of stays the same. Yeah, has that helped as well to manage change uh, in a way? I think so. I mean, when I go down to the dojo now and train, it's like meditation also for me. Mm. I mean, you find that calmness and and, uh, and many people describe this as being in the flow a little bit. Um, And and that's how it feels. I mean, we always start the training with a meditation. It's just a short meditation, one, two minutes, but it really clears your minds. And then you train for one hour, one and a half hour, and you, you don't think about anything else than karate. So... That, that for sure have helped. Uh, that's also something that you probably need to practice many years because uh, until you reach that point. But when, when I'm at the most stressed today and I, and I go training karate, five minutes into the training, I forgot all my work. Mm. And I can just focus on karate for one hour. And then sometimes when I'm done, the, the solution to that problem that I had before is, is just there also. It's the same same feeling as people talk when they go running or something. Right. You know, you come into the flow, and then when you come home, oh, you have you have found the solution already. Right. Right. So, so, so uh, how come you ended up in the mobile space? Was that conscious? Did you want to get into to tech or or mobile? Uh, I mean, the mobile space was just an and coincident, I would say. Um, but I've always been very interested in technology, and. Uh, Especially maybe the mobile. I was one of the first convict launched. Uh, I don't know which year it was, but uh, I, I think I was 19 or something when mm. I bought my first mobile, and it was a convict phone because they were the one bringing mobile to to the normal person, so to yeah, say. Before yeah. that, it was like 20,000 seconds for executives only, uh, but they really took it down. Was this 90, 90s? Uh, mid 90s, maybe. Yeah, it could be mid 90s. Yeah, probably. 94, 95, right. I would say it was. <laughs> yeah, it should be there because 96 I started in uh, in Europolitan stores. Um, but anyway, uh, this is also a really good, really good question actually because I'm going to tie it in now for you. So um, I, I was fascinated by mobile. I bought my first mobile and then Europolitan at that time, which was the Swedish local operator, was... Uh, really, they really had this premium feeling to it. First of all, they were targeting mostly businesses, so it was like small, medium businesses, but also larger businesses. But there was nothing that said you, you can't buy it as a consumer. But it just felt like it was like focused toward business, and they focused about good services and good quality of the network. And and the prices wasn't that premium. Um, I think it was a little bit premium, but not that premium. But anyway, so they had this, and I'm also very fascinated about brands. So brand and technology is something that I'm very, mm. very fascinated. And I really liked Europolitan brand. And then they open up these flagship stores also. And I like retail as well. <laughs> I like many things. Um, so I, I went into these stores and I was like, wow, this is so uh, forward thinking stores and design and the brand and everything. I was ki- kind of blown away. Uh, and then I heard from a friend that they were actually looking for salespeople. And I was like, what? Uh, is, can I apply even? And they said, yeah, of course you can apply. And I hadn't really worked on anything before. I was just doing karate. 
and I worked as a bouncer part time. So I didn't have any kind of working experience at all. Uh, but sometime, s- somehow I found someone who knew the HR director, and uh, and um, and I heard also that he's been into karate. Uh, so when I came to the first interview, I managed from my friend. Uh, and he was working there at Europolitan. So I managed to get to, to, to make him promise that I would get an interview. So to the interview, I borrowed my, my dad's suit, which was way too big for me. And I brought this picture from Sosayoyama. I remember this now. Uh, <laughs> with me. Uh, Ultimate credibility. Yeah, which was one, <laughs> one of the last you know, picture that was taken f- by him before he died. Um, so I brought that to the interview and, and, and the HR director, was he was named Ole Hellström. I'm going to send them this later. He can listen to the story. Um, and we talked like for one hour about karate. And it ended up that he was actually trying Kyokushin back in the days. Mm-hmm. And he loved it and he's very fascinated about it. And it ended up that I gave him the picture and uh, and i got the job <laughs> so it's wonderful this is p- perfect segue into yeah. into your a new career yeah that was actually karate helped me there for sure i don't i don't think i would have gotten without karate actually no, no. well i think for younger people who don't you know didn't experience that part that early days of mobile it was really a, such a different place than we are at right now you yeah know? Mobile today is, you know, it's kind of like an extension of our, 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 you know, personality, our life. We carry it with us all the time. We have so much things on it. Um, back then, you didn't have that much functionality. It was basically calling. It took a while until text came along. Yeah. Uh, from from my recollection, uh, I remember I had I had an Ericsson that I got probably '96 or something, around that era. I got it from my father. Um, but it was, it was still this sense of revolution it was, in a way it was. because like you could you could just you could call someone it, just to explain this to my like 10-year-old daughter or anything yeah. like you she doesn't even know you can call on the phone that was like the 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 this the, you know number 17 on the list to do with her phone yeah. like but but back then it, it was a revolution in a it way it really was i mean i have a funny funny story from that time as well and, and almost like a prank a little bit as you said with the text so when text came before it was released to the phones, you could mm. actually send text from a computer to a mobile mm. phone. And this was, this was not uh, known by many. And it was also just a short period because it was when the operator was testing out the new services, which they very often do. Um, and my, one of my friends in Europolitan store managed to get that software. So we were able to send text to people's phones from a computer. <laughs> And and nobody in Sweden knows about this, so we could I mean we could do we could send a text to someone saying that you know there's something uh, urgent going on with your uh, your passport or something and you need to go to the police station and everyone was kind of tricked by this because they didn't even know this existed so they was like assuming it came from the from the government <laughs> so we did a lot of pranks with this in in our story in our small story here. So what was your, for after being a, a sort of like a salesperson, how, how was your career trajectory from, from there? Yeah, it, it went quite fast, actually. I was first, I was deputy store manager. Nokia actually opened up a, a flagship store at Sturegatan. Mm. I don't know if you remember it. Um, and I was deputy store manager and then I became store manager at, uh, in, in Farsta Galleria. And after that, I became regional manager. And then I went into uh, what they called indirect sales, which is then working with our partner who sells uh, mm. the subscriptions. So I, I was um, 
a regional sales director and then I became uh, head of that department, head of indirect sales. And then I became head of all sales. So then I was responsible for our stores. And, and also now we have changed because Vodafone acquired Europolitan. Yeah, yeah. So then we were at, uh, at Vodafone. I was head of all sales. And then when Telenor finally acquired uh, Vodafone, I became head of um, all sales and distribution within the Telenor group. And then I was part of the executive board for, for Telenor mm. group. So it was, um, I was there for 12 years, uh, but it was three different owners and uh, probably had like 10, 10 different positions or yeah. something. But I, I started as a salesperson. I ended up in the executive team. So it was a, good, was a bit of a ride, actually. This was also the era, for, for, also for young people who don't, who don't remember or wasn't there, that where, where it was basically Nokia and Ericsson. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the clash between these two Nordic uh, brands and suppliers. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's somewhat baffling to think that that's kind of just all gone and there's a completely new dynamic today. Yeah. But I don't know if it's like this for old people, but I still remember the 388 and the Nokia 8110 and all these models. I think the, so. I think, the, I think And a lot of people remember them. There was like icons a little bit. Yeah. And now when they release a new phone, the form factor doesn't change anymore. It's just yeah. talk about battery times and mobile and camera more yeah. or less. Yeah. But back then it was like revolutionary. Every launch was like revolutionary. So it was, I think it was more fun back then. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we can allow a little bit of nostalgia. Yeah. No, I remember. I mean, it's also like, were you a guy who, who wanted a big phone or a small phone? Yeah. It, yeah. it went sort of two directions. Yeah. True. But for many years, it was all about... Ha- you know, creating the smallest one. Yes. Um, because there was no reason really to have a big screen exactly. at that point. The graphics were so poor. Mm. Um, so I think the 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 larger screen they they actually came into play again when when iPhone first was launched. Yeah. Um, because there was com- completely new innovations. I mean, just that you could you could touch the screen like touch mm. screen mm. came with iPhone as well. Or NeoNode actually was the first. Um, but but. Um, but iPhone took it to to the wider crowd, and uh, and then I think it became bigger, bigger screens again. But before that, I mean, you remember the uh, what was it called the, the small Nokia, the really small Nokia that was very popular and also very exclusive. That cost right. like ten thousand crowns back right. then. Um, now it was really a fun period, and many people, many of my colleagues who worked, and they were like going between Nokia and Ericsson. So there mm. was, there, as you said, there was this battle. And and some people were maybe choosing Ericsson, some people choosing Nokia, but it was so um, it was so close that you could actually switch between the models and the brands because mm. every new model was like something really new. Nokia was really going for the design, and Ericsson was going for the technology. Exactly. Do you remember the? You know, I'm just curious from the inside because when the whole sort of uh, smartphone revolution came at the end of the aughts, uh, 2007, eight around that period, yeah. uh, which really became the sort of undoing of Nokia, and I think Ericsson were able to pivot in a in a much greater extent. Uh, do you remember from the inside any any what was the discussion around this? Well, you know, I mean. There was there's famous quotes, you know, saying that oh, we, people will never have a big phone like this in their pocket. They will, they yeah. will you know, it was counterintuitive to to many uh, of the notions that we had about a you know cell phone because we wanted it to be small and, and yeah. so forth. We couldn't really envision that it was supposed to be a computer in your pocket. Yeah, I mean, first of all, when iPhone launched in Sweden, 
I was actually working for Apple mm. because then I, I went from from um, Telenor to, to Apple. So I was with Apple when they launched iPhone in Sweden. Um, so I wasn't really with the operators then. Um, but I was, of course, still in the industry and I had all my connections there. But I think it, it was this like classic um, syndrome when, when, when the people underestimate or they don't even want to face the reality. Right. Bit. Because actually the iPhone... Uh, became a uh, success very quickly, and and I remember before it even launched in Sweden, we were at um, uh, Båstad Tennis, and then a guy came over from US and he had the iPhone with him, and 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 you know there was like this after party and we were like 500 people there and no one seen the iPhone. So he was bringing up the iPhone and everyone was, was gathering <laughs> center around Center of him. attention. Really <laughs> center of attention. And, you know, he had 500 people around and just wanted to see this product. And, uh, and he was showing how it worked and how you could you know, flip the, between the contacts. You know, mm. And everyone was so impressed that when you came to the bottom, maybe he had like 10 contacts or something. So when you came to the bottom, it was like bouncing. You know, this <laughs> bouncing feeling that you had there in the end. Uh, and and people just they, they was like oh can I try can I try to see yeah, this yeah, bouncing, yeah. but anyway what my point is that already then people could see and realize that this is going to be a success, mm. you know and it was a game changer, um, and uh, so I think for Nokia and uh, and the others to to kind of try to hide or something or whip it under the carpet or whatever you say, it was like. Um, very strange, actually, because yeah. they should have realized that this is going to be for sure. I mean, even if they, they didn't think that this is going to change everything, which it more or less did, but at least to to face that it's going to be a serious competition and uh, and try to have a strategy to mm. to mitigate that. Well, obviously, one of the biggest business mistakes in the history of business not to take that uh, seriously, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, it's almost like a, a you know watershed moment uh, when when that came and it changed people's perspectives of what a cell phone could be. Uh, do you have any other memories from the you know years following that? How that changed our perspective on 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 cell phones and how we use them? I, d- I don't have anything on top of my mind. I no. mean, it's just a, a recent example I can just tell you about. Is when when I myself became so aware of how, of how far we came now is when I did a business trip to Dubai for just two days and I thought I was this modern traveler with not bringing my laptop or anything. We was just going to sign. I was with TomTom Tom then and I was just going to sign a distributor agreement and I had everything on my phone. You know, mm. the, the agreement had been shared already. We were uh, agreed on the terms and conditions and I was just there to sign more or less and to, and to meet them. We had we had two different distributors that we chose between and then we finally made our decision. I was going there for two days, meet them, have some fun and sign the sign the contract. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I landed in Dubai, took a taxi to the hotel. And then when I came into the reception, I realized my phone was gone. So I lost oh. it in the in the cab. When was this? Uh, this is then, uh, it's like five, six years ago. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. So it's quite recent actually. Yeah. So I, I didn't have any good uh, good memory from like... 15 years ago. No, 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 that's fine. It's um, <laughs> yeah, but, but then I, I came there and I had everything in the phone. I mean, I had the, the flight ticket, I had the hotel reservation, mm. 
I I had all my contacts. Of course, I had the contacts to the person I'm going to meet. Mm. I had the address to the meeting the day after. And I didn't have anything in my head. So I was like, I was standing there like point blank. And I was like, what am I going to do? Um, <laughs> so it was a good end to the story. At least I, I talked to the receptionist and somehow they managed to find the cab driver. So the day after I could go and pick up my phone. But if I, if I didn't have that, I mean, I, I don't really know how I would have done it. I mean, how... I had to call someone in the office. I'm not sure if in, even if they had the, the meeting point for the day after. So I would mm. probably have missed the meeting. And I had to call the airlines to try to get the ticket. And you know, and, you, and then you have your bank ID and then you have your Swish. And now you have your whole life in your mobile phone. It, it's interesting because it goes back to something we talked about the other day. It, it's that this notion of, of different screens and different devices and, and how, how the perspective on that has changed throughout the years. And I, I just going back to myself, I you know for the longest time I was sort of this uh, did you know I, I tried to be as effective as I could and I, and I almost like dreamed of a vision in the future where I only had one device that I did everything on, whereas now it's it's almost like it's 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 too much crammed into one little thing, right? Mm. So I, I I enjoy a tablet that I'm only reading on. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want the 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 laptop to write on and, and do other things. And I think now with the with the the the, the recent pandemic, we we've been very, um, uh, you know, we've seen the importance of of a good webcam and a good you know station almost stationary computer uh, for our for all of our meetings and so forth and i know this is something you've been talking about at at Samsung right now as well that that, that this notion of, of almost going back to uh, these these more kind of old school devices and this is something i'm most fascinated with technology sometimes it goes really really forward and then when you take a few step backs because we realize we needed some of the other yeah. things from before right yeah yeah it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops actually because now we just going to relaunch the PC again mm. with Samsung. And, and we're making a big launch now in a couple of months. Actually, we, we, we did a pilot last year, but now we're expanding the portfolio and also the distribution on it. Mm. But um, just a few years ago, Samsung actually took a decision not to uh, pursue the PC business anymore because the phone itself is so powerful right. these days. So we have this DVX software in the phone that if you just have a screen, you can use your phone as a computer. Because it's powerful enough, yeah. you have all the CPU you need in the in the phone these days. Um, so we took a decision not to go into the PC, but now we're coming back, and we saw that during the pandemic also the the sales has uh, skyrocketed actually. Um, and I think it is as you say. I think people um, and and the laptop is also a nice form factor when you think about it. I mean, it's it's like a flip phone really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the PC will will uh, will be there for for some time, definitely. But it is interesting to see because eventually maybe people will realize that you have the all the power you need in the phone, mm. and and you might just have screens to to fit different purposes. Well, I think you have to externalize it in different ways. I'm I'm thinking a lot about this at the moment. I'm trying to write a piece on how we 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 need different like the way we need different physical rooms because you I mean you go and work out in one room you have your zoom meetings in in one space you have your office you usually we have our office and your home right mm. or maybe some uh, other external places that we meet our friends restaurants and so forth it it is my sense that we're going to view our digital life in a kind of similar way in in that we even though you know the power of it it might be just one phone or one one 
original source that, that handles the processing and the data and everything. But I have a sense that we kind of need different screens or different kind of spaces uh, that we use. You know, when we go out running, we need something on our, on our uh, like a watch, mm. right, that helps us. We might not want the phone with us. Uh, if, we, if I'm having a meeting, I prefer a larger screen. I can really see the person or maybe sim- several persons. So this is... Um, this is just a re- general reflection, but I'm thinking a lot about this, and I, I, I do think we're going to see uh, a world going forward where this is going to crystallize m- much more uh, than than it is today. And I yeah. think we've, we've been in a period of kind of like searching for the past 10 years. We've seen the evolution of, of the cell phone, and now we're at a place where, as you said, your cell phone in your pocket could basically do ev- everything yeah. and more that our regular computers did uh, just a few years ago. Yeah, Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I remember... And the first watch came with the eSIM and heart rate monitor also. I was also doing a lot of running, especially when I was with TomTom. So mm. even though I'm a big guy, I did a couple of marathons. Um, but then when I tried that first time with a, the with a headset and the, and the watch only, and I left my phone at home, went out running, listened to Spotify, and then if someone called, I could still take the call right. with the eSIM. I, I, I found that quite revolutionary. And I, I remember I told all my friends that, you know, this is the future. And... Um, Nobody will go running with the phones anymore. But after like 10 times running with the phones, then, you know, someone call, you can answer. Okay, that's a great feeling. But then someone calls and they want something from you. Maybe just a short email or Mm. comment or an approval or something. And then you realize that that's actually really poor uh, experience with the watch to try to do that. To send an email on the watch is a really poor experience. So now I'm going running. I still, <laughs> I still bring my phone with me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going back. Well, I, th- uh, I, I think humans are, in a way, we're sort of biased towards, uh, you know, binary thinking. Yeah. You know, simplistic. It's like this changes everything, right? Yeah. And we think, yeah. like, this is the future and this is the way forward. And then we realize it's more kind of like hybrid. Yeah. And I think just going back to the pandemic as well, the way we work. Uh, you know, the discussion is always, is this the death of office? It becomes very binary, you know, one and zero, on and off, yeah. so, so to speak. And I think what most people uh, realize by now, it's it's probably going to change the way we work, uh, you know, and the relationship between the home office and, and, and the physical office. But of course, it's going to be some form of in-between hybrid uh, situation, yeah. right? I had a very interesting conversation just the other day with, with, um, uh, with a partner that we we're talking to about photographical art Mm. and um, one of my colleagues in Samsung he's managing the TV business and his vision is to have one TV in every room that's his vision that's Samsung's vision a little bit Um, it's a good vision of course uh, but you know if you're if you had a big apartment or you had a house or wife and kids you know that when it comes to decoration the the wife normally has a lot to say right Mm. and there's no at least in my house there's no way a TV would be in every every room. There's no way. That would never be allowed. <laughs> but then we talked about what about if you have um, uh, uh, um, like the, the frame. I don't know if you've seen the frame. Yeah, sure, um, of course. But the, you, you put that uh, horizontal instead and then becomes like a nice frame for, for photographical mm. art. Mm. So if you if you turn it around and say, actually, it's not the TV. It's, it's, it's art and you can change the art mm. because you have walls in most rooms and you would like to have something on the walls and then eventually if you would if you if you want you could use it as a tv but it's not the tv the first thing it's it's actually art because Im- imagine your uh, your country house in Åre when you have this big open 
living room and there's an open fire or something. You don't want that TV to spoil that no. um, feeling. But you could have like a photographical art on the wall, which is just um, accelerating the, the, the nice feeling you have. But then when your kids sit there and they want to see Netflix, you could use that as a screen for Netflix as well. But it, that's not the main purpose. The main purpose is the art. Exactly. And then I think it's actually... Uh, it, it, the, the, the vision, one screen in every room, could be realized. I, I think so. I think definitely we're going that direction. And, and going back to like what we talked about kids and how they view uh, you know, um, uh, phones today, they don't necessarily think of it as a, they think of it as a gaming device first, yeah. probably. You know, probably they watched Netflix from when they were very young. Uh, 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 and, and the way we, we've, we've experienced one technology for a very long time, like with the television. We think about it as a television yeah. first and foremost. Exactly. Whereas I think probably we're going to end up in, and that's why I think the you know with the likes of Samsung has a very <laughs> prosperous future, is that we are going to want technology to be accessible wherever we are. Exactly. So in probably many different formats of screens, you want to read something, you want to do recipes, you want to you know watch something, you want to do a quick meeting. Yeah. You know sometimes I've also something reflected on this past year is that. If I if I need to have a, a video meeting with someone, I have to move myself. To, I have to find some kind of space where I can put up the computer and be really sort of in a calm space. Probably in a few years, we're just gonna okay. Let's have a meeting. You're gonna be in a room. You're just gonna direct your you know phone or something to that uh, screen. Yeah. Just pull it up on the screen. Yeah. Kind of like uh, you know the uh, TV series Twenty Four. Just pull it up in yeah. a way. Um, and and probably I think this is where we're going. And probably we're going to have some kind of core technology, probably our phone or something in the cloud that's connected to us. Yeah. But just how that's displayed around us, how we interact with it, I'm really excited to see yeah. you know where we are going there. It's I think you're be right. Interesting uh, future. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, dead screens, so to say, I think they will disappear. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll, you, we will have screens for multiple purposes. Yeah. And it will be very natural. So you won't really have that sense that it's an ugly computer, it's an ugly TV mm. in your room. It's not going to be ugly anymore. It's just going to be something that s- blends in with your kind of decoration. Mm. And then uh, you can use it multiple. Maybe you even have more than one screen in every room in the future. But sure, it's not going to be that ugly single device anymore. No, no. Do you know if... Are there, are there screens that are mirrors? I haven't yeah, there are. There are yeah. even... Uh, Screens that you can, you that that is like completely, uh, what do you, what do you call it? You can see through them. Yeah, transparent. Yeah, transparent. like windows. Yeah, like windows. I'm yeah. sure that that's gonna be part of, of what we're talking about, right? Yeah, now. but there's also mirrors. Yeah, mm. uh, so you could have a, you could have a screen in your in your bathroom. It could mm. be a mirror, mm. and then you can use it as a screen when you brush your tooth in the evening. Yeah, well, we've seen many, you know, uh, you know, sci-fi movies where that happens. So I'm sure, yeah, you, yeah. You, you know, more more often than not, the the movies are are way ahead of us. So you know, we we've said we we should talk for thirty minutes. <laughs> it's been almost an hour, but but I want to get into um, some of the things. So what's important for you right now in in your work? You just launched this this amazing campaign with all the Nordics personalities. I, I think we should mention that with the Ben Gorham and 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 the, and the guys. Um, and uh, and this was I think was this like kind of the first big campaign because you've been in Samsung a year or a year and a half or something right now. Yeah, it was the first big uh, ambassador um, launch that, that that I've did at least. Mm. Um, 
we did one very big with with Slatan just a few years ago if yeah. you remember and the 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 TV side of the business so to say they they still use Slatan as an ambassador um but we wanted to find our own angle uh Samsung is divided into the IM, which is my responsibility, and then we have the traditional CA part. And of course, we cooperate a lot, and we do cross cross projects and so on. But um, but we have our own marketing departments, and we have our own sales channels and so on. I mean, we, operators for us is very important, and operators hardly sell any CE, for example. So it's it's different channels and different focus and different strategies and different launch periods, etc. Uh, so we we wanted to find something. Uh, that we could really build on for the future and that that would give it this genuine feeling and, and a, like a pure partnership coming back to the to the martial arts mm. and then uh, we thought this was a good timing also because of the pandemic uh, to to try to to uh, lift uh, these these uh, uh, athletes and, and Ben Gorham and etc and to, to show what they have done and what they have managed to do and that that you, sh- you should trust yourself and you know, do what you can't. We we thought that was very, um, a very good timing for that, and to 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 broadcast also uh, to the younger people that there's still opportunity and there's still hope, and you you can trust trust to do what you what you want. At the same time, I also think we we wanted to um, to show them that you know to to become something. If it's a football player or Formula F driver or yeah, or or designer or whatever, you you still need to have this dedication, and you still you have to work hard for it. We mm. wanted to send that message as well, uh, and then with the go chap, capture it and the the camera, everything that we done, all the content is produced by our own 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 devices, so to say. Yeah, we should we should mention that it, we were talking about uh, you know Ben Gorham, the the founder of of Byredo, which has been on the cover of Scandinavian Mind, so a lot of. Our listeners uh, recognize him. People naturally also also recognize the Norwegian soccer star Erling Haaland and the Finnish F1 driver uh, Kimi Räikkönen. Yeah. So I mean, these are you know, heavyweights in their in their own right, but also right. in which you know also we appreciate, of course, from the Scandinavian mind perspective, it's a really like a Nordic take on it. Yeah. Uh, you try to find these Nordic icons that have done. You know, amazing uh, work I- in a way. Exactly, and we have some Danish also coming up very soon. Oh, exciting! Uh, so we're we're just finalizing them as well, and then we have Anina Bing, who's kind of yeah. both Swedish and Danish. Um, yeah, we we wanted to find. I mean, the the country manager and the local team has been very much involved in picking these these uh, athletes, and then we wanted to to meet them and to find that out really that we are a good fit with each other, mm. not just. Uh, you know the traditional influencer marketing, maybe when when it's a, a post and that's that's the end of the relationship. Or right. we wanted something much more deeper. Uh, so we, we we're talking with them on all different kind of subjects and corporations now going forward. So we hope this is something that we can really build on uh, for the future. And then of course, how if we can help them to develop themselves in their career and they can help us, then it's a mm. it's a great partnership. And perhaps easy for you to connect with them since you are a sp- yeah, ex- ex-athlete yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, I hope I will have that opportunity <laughs> to discuss. <laughs> so, so, what else is happening in the device space? And you also have the 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 the, um, the wearables as well. Yeah, I mean, we have launches coming up in the wearables, and then I think it's it's interesting to mention also the, you know, what we talked about with Nokia and Ericsson back then, and the revolution a little bit. Uh, I hope that people. Um, I mean, for Samsung now with the flip and fold, we really mm. took a step there. 
that's also a game changer when it comes to the design and the flexibility of the products a little bit. And if you try the Flip, now I'm using the S21 myself because it's the latest, latest flagship, but I really like the Flip. I mean, that was, a, that was this feeling again that something new is coming to the business. And my, myself, I always, when I'm going into the car or something, my, my phone quite often pops out from my pocket. <laughs> but with the Flip, that never happens because it's so small when it's, right. when it's put together. And then when you put the flip on the table, everyone's you get everyone's attention. They want to know what it is, and it's like oh, you can show them the foldable screens, and so that that's really something nice um, that we are bringing innovation back to the category again, mm. and with a different form factor. It's not it's not just the same smartphone, which more or less everyone has the same look and feel to. Mm. The flip and the fold actually bring something new, and we have some great launches coming up in the second half on these products. Exciting. Well, I, it's my sense that we, I, I feel I feel like we kind of have reached peak size when it comes to cell phones. I think they've been coming bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy a big phone, I, you know, because you do so much work with it yeah. and so forth. But it's, it's kind of sense that, can it can it be bigger in my pocket? You, you're kind of yearning for something that's more reasonable. Yeah, exactly. In size. Yeah, I, I don't want to, I mean, S21 or if I take the iPhone, Pro Max, for example, mm. I think that for me, that's the biggest size you want. Yeah. I don't want to go bigger on a phone than that. Uh, that That's where I think the flip is so interesting and the fold because it's not that big when it's uh, when it's together. And then you want it bigger, you just unfold it. I think that's very interesting. Right, right. Well, Oscar, it's it's so exciting talking to you. There's, there's it's like a windling journey from from uh, karate in Japan to to the, the the mobile evolution to where we are right now. Um, obviously, you've reached quite the stature in your career uh, in, in the mobile space. Um, you mentioned uh, you, you never really give up karate. What's what's your vision? You, will you go back to be a karate master? Uh, you know, at yeah, one I, ho- point? I hope next... Is that next, your retirement? Or? That is my retirement. I hope next pod we meet, I will discuss you know my future within the karate space. And then I left my professional life in a couple of years maybe. Well, I I hope we talk sooner than that, but I look forward to that conversation as well. (laughs) Thank you, Conrad. Oscar Ottoman, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olsen. This show was edited by Eric Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to scandinavianmind.com to become part of our movement.